Okay, so we're going to pick it up from the beginning of the parak, the seventh parak, Daf Samach Vavam and Aleph. The mission is dealing with the following uh, scenario. You have a woman who marries a kain that she's not allowed to, so either an almana to a kain gadol, a grusha, a chalutzel, a kain hadit. So it's like this. She's not allowed to eat truma, although she's the wife of a kain, but because when she marries him, she becomes a chalala. She becomes disqualified, so she's not allowed to eat truma. I don't believe he's allowed to eat truma while they're married. However, his slaves are allowed to. So now the question is, what about the property she brings into the marriage? Meaning, the property he owns can eat truma. Slaves that he previously owned can eat truma. The question is, what about property that she brings into the marriage? And this is where the Mishnah deals with, there's two different types of slaves. There's two different types of property that she brings into the marriage. One is called Nechsei Malug, and one is called Nechsei Tzayn Barazal. I'm going to explain for one moment just what it is. It's important to remember this distinction. Nechsei Malug is the property, the, the way we look at Nechsei Malug is that the husband has to, the husband can use it while he's married to her. It's not his. Therefore, at the end of marriage, he just gives it back to her. Whatever the value is, it dropped, it went up. Since the marriage, it's irrelevant. So let's say she has a slave or she has a property that's Nechsei Malug. So Nechsei Malug, it's not the husband's. The husband just can use the, can eat the fruit of the property. It's not his at all. He returns it to her when it's done. Whether it goes up, he has, he has the right to use it, but he does not own it in any capacity. He can't sell it. He can't, he, he doesn't have. But still, Nechsei Malug, when you go into the marriage, Nechsei Malug, which is not in the Ksuba, that's how we look at it. Whatever is not written in the Ksuba. Outright. So, so, so if it's property and it has apples, who does the apples belong to? He can eat the apples, but it's her field. Could he sell the apples and keep the money? The He's allowed to, yes, but it's her field. They would that, fill in stuff, yeah. They would fill they would in, fill in a- additives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it's written in the Ksub, it's called Nechsei Tzayn Barzal. I didn't get to Nechsei Tzayn Barzal yet. Let's just take it one step at a time. Nechsei Malug is the property that's not written in the Ksuba, and the way we look at it is that it's not the husband's. He just has the rights to use it. It's like a bike. It's, she brings in a bike, he could ride the bike. That's it. If it goes down in value, it goes up in value. I don't matter. You give it to her at the end of the marriage, that's it. Bye-bye. It's irrelevant. It's not his. Nechsei Tzayn Barzal is that he becomes the husband's in the beginning of marriage, and we'll see to what extent in today's daf. And at the end of marriage, he has to return it to the value that it was in the beginning of the marriage. Meaning, if it goes into the marriage that the bike is worth $1,000, and it's Nechsei Tzayn Barzal, so it's written in the Ksuba, the husband can have it, and he could even use it, and it's considered his. It's his responsibility. If something happens to the bike, or if the property value of bikes goes down to $500, he has to return to her at the end of marriage a $1,000 bike. That's how we look at Nechsei Tzayn Barzal. It's much more the husband's than anything else. That it's the wife's. And we'll see to what extent in today's daf. Okay? So, Nechsei Tzayn Barazel is more the husband's. Nechsei Malug is definitely the wife's. Okay? Nechsei Mechselug, he could just use, but it's not his at all. Nechsei Tzayn Barazel, it's his responsibility. Up or down value, it's his responsibility. It's nothing said, nothing written, then it's almost... That's what Rashi says. Anything not specified in the Ksuba just turns into Nechsei Malug. The Sintan Barzal is written in the Ksuba. I'm bringing into the marriage this A, B, and C. Then A, B, and C, the husband can have during the marriage, but at the end of the marriage, she gets it back to the value that it was at the time of the marriage. Not to the value it is now. To the value it was at the time of the marriage. 
That's called Nichsas and Barzal. So Nichsas and Barzal is much more the husbands. Again, to what extent, we'll figure out. So it says in the Mishnah, If you have this woman who's married to a Kayin and she's not allowed to, and she brings into the marriage slaves, so if the slaves are which again is the wives, then the, the slaves of Malug cannot eat Truma because they're the wives. And as we'll see in the Gemara, the wife, because she can't eat Truma, her slaves cannot eat Truma. But because they're perceived more as the husbands, and the husband's a Kayin, they could eat Truma. Nixay Sen Barzal can eat Truma. Um, okay, now what's the difference between Nixay Melug and Nixay Sen Barzal? Hey, I'm sorry, just one second. Are we talking about when they divorce? I mean, when they get separated? What are you talking about? What am I saying? When they're divorced, they definitely can't eat anymore. When they're divorced, she's. No, she's a Almana to a Kayangadal. She cannot eat Truma. Oh, so we're talking after she passed, after he, okay, so she's an Almana, okay. No, 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 Okay? So it says the Mishnah. Correct. Now, the Mishnah explains what's the difference between Nixem Melug and Nixem Barzal. The difference is, Emesu Mesula, Nixem Melug belong to the wife, and therefore if they die, they die on her account, meaning she gets the loss. Im Haisiru, if they go up, Haisiru La, she gets the value, meaning they're hers. The only thing the husband could do is he could use them, and he's responsible to feed them if they're slaves. But because they're, pre- they're predominantly the wives, they cannot eat truma during this marriage. Because the wife can't eat truma. But says the Mishnah, What's Tzayn Barzal? That's Emesu Mesu Loi. If there's a loss, there's a loss to the husband. Because he's responsible to return these slaves to the value that they were at the beginning of the marriage. So if the property value drops, that's on him. If they go up in value, then he makes money. But says the Gemara, and because he's Bachayev and Achrayis, he's responsible for these slaves. They could eat Truma. Okay. Now says the Mishnah, now this is all by the reason why the Nixay Ave Malug cannot eat is because the wife is disqualified. In a regular marriage between a non Kayan and a Kayan, meaning a woman who's a Levi, a Levia or a Basi Sarl that marries a Kayan, the second she marries him, not only does she eat, because we're doing the Mishnah, her, all her slaves can eat. So the Nechse Malug and the Nechse Sembrazel can eat. The only reason why this Mishnah is different is because in this Mishnah, she becomes disqualified, therefore her property takes a loss. But in a regular marriage to a Kayan, where she's allowed to marry the Kayan, all the slaves eat. So, Says, so a woman who gets, when a woman gets married, she basically still has the ability to have financial independence. Somewhat. He still, but not really, because the husband still has the rights to it or the ownership of it. So it's very limited. That's the stuff that she gets during the marriage. 
this is what she brought into the marriage. So the Mishnah says, Basi in a regular healthy marriage, all the slaves get to eat. And the opposite, Baskayan Janis is the Yisrael. If you have a Baskayan that marries a Yisrael, so the second she gets married, none of her slaves can eat because she's now a Yisrael. She becomes like her husband. Okay, so the only, so again, if a Almana marries a Kayan Gadol and she brings into the marriage Avadim or Malug, they cannot eat Truma. Why? Because they're her slaves. And she's disqualified, so they're disqualified. Now the Gemara wants to know why is that true? Why don't we look at it as she owns them? But the husband owns her. So why, why can't it be that they eat? You're right. If they're eating from her perspective, by proxy of her, it's not going to work. But why don't we look at it as a trickle-down effect? If he can eat, if he's a Kayan, so while his wife can't eat Truma, but why can't the property of his wife eat Truma? Because he owns it all. So like, why don't we look at it as sort of bypassing the wife? The wife owns the slave, but he owns the wife. So why don't we look at it as that for that alone, it should be allowed to eat Truma. I'll give you an example. If during a regular marriage, healthy marriage, his wife in the middle of the marriage buys something, like my father said, it's the husband's. So to over here, she brings in slaves. So they're still hers. But he is kind of her. So why can't that by proxy work? It should be he's kind of everything that she owns. Yeah, I mean, why should... The responsibility. True, but like, but at the end of the day, it's it's... It's who who owns this? Her, but everything she owns become his. So, like, why isn't that enough? So, the Gemara, the Gemara is going to explain basically that that for it to work, for that process to work of the husband owning A, which owns B, for the only way for B to eat is if A can eat truma. That's basically how the Gemara is going to explain it. Meaning, in a regular marriage where the husband is A, the wife is B, so A owns B, and then she buys an item C, so C can eat truma. Not because of the husband, but it's really because of her. It's because the wife can eat truma, her property can eat truma. If the wife can, uh, cannot eat truma, then the property cannot eat truma either. That's basically what the Gemara is going to speak at. Let's see it inside. The Gemara says, So we said that her slaves that are Avdi Maluk cannot eat truma. Am I? Why? Why don't we say that the slaves are owned by a property which is owned by a Kayan? So it's two steps, but it's still owned eventually by the Kayan. Meaning the Kayan owns the wife who owns the slaves. So why shouldn't that be enough to, for, the, for them to eat? Titania, as the Brisa says, right. A Kayan marries a wife, and or he owns slaves. How do I know that? Step one, a Kayan owns a wife. How do I know that the wife can eat truma? Stop. Step number one. Fine. So that's step number one. Now step number two. How do I know that if the husband, the Kayan, owns the wife, who then owns slaves, who buys slaves, how do I know that the slaves can eat? So it's A owning B who owns C. How do I know that the slaves can eat Truma? Okay, so the question is, if that's the case, then if if the Kayan owns the wife and the wife owns the slaves, why is that not enough for the slaves to eat truma by Nechzei Maluk? So the Gemara says, I'll tell you why, because the wife can't eat truma. Because the wife can't eat truma, she can't feed truma to others. Okay, makes sense. So the Gemara says, You can only feed truma, meaning if, if you want to give the rights to eat truma to, to another person, another entity, it only works if you could eat truma. So because the wife cannot eat truma, because she's a halala, the slaves can't eat truma. Here's the problem. A slight ha'ara on this. That's not so true. Kehanim can give over the rights to eat truma even if they can't eat truma. 
if let's say the Kayan is an oral, so he can't eat truma, but his slaves can eat truma. So your so your your equation is not accurate. The Gemara says Hari oral. What about an oral, a Kayan who's not circumcised? and he can't eat truma, but his slaves could. So you see that the property of an entity can eat truma even if they themselves can't eat truma. So the Gemara says Hasam Over there, an oral is different. It's not like he's rejected from eating truma. It's that. He has a foreskin, so until the skin's removed, it can't eat truma, but he's he's potentially able, he's rectifiable. Okay, what about a mamzer? Harry mamzer What about a mamzer? One of the halachas is that a grandmother who was married to a kayan, let's say you have a woman who was a non-kayan who marries a kayan. So the second her marriage ends, let's say her husband dies, she can't eat truma anymore unless she has a grandkid or a child. If she has a child or a grandchild, she can still eat truma. What if that grandchild is a mamzer? So her daughter married a mamzer. The halacha is, the mamzer, the grandchild mamzer, can actually allow the grandmother to eat truma, even though the mamzer can't eat truma. So you see that even if you can't eat truma and you're ineligible, you could feed others. So too over here, the wife, she's ineligible. Why can't she feed her slaves? The Gemara says, oh, The answer is, if if the woman was a kayan, you'd be right. A kayan, even if he can't eat truma, he could feed others. But over here, you want to feed the slave because of the proxy of the woman in between. She's like a mediator. You have the kayan. And then he, he owns the wife. And then the wife owns slaves. So the slaves are going to eat truma not because of the kayan, but because of the wife. The middle mediator, the middle rung, can only feed others if they themselves can eat. So the Kayan can feed others even if he can't eat Shuma. But you want to be a middle rung, you want to be a bee? The bee can only feed C if the bee can eat Shuma. Okay, that's the rule. That's explanation number one. Let's go to explanation number two. Again, the question is, you have a woman who marries a Kayan, and she's not allowed to marry the Kayan, and she has slaves, those slaves that are Nechzei cannot eat Shuma. So we said why? So we said because she can't eat, she can't feed others. Rava is a different shot. Rava says very simple. Rava says, you know what the truth is? Biblically, they could eat truma. This is a rabbinic enactment. Why? Very simple. And that is, do we want this marriage to work? This amana to a gadol? No, we want them to get divorced, right? So why would we facilitate her slaves being allowed to eat truma? Why would we make it comfortable for her? What we want to do is, we want her to realize that we're not happy about this. You know what? You can't eat truma. Your slaves can't eat truma. And then she's going to say, you know what? If I can't eat truma, my slaves can't eat truma. Maybe I'm like a zaina to this husband. This marriage is not working. Meaning the reason why we do it, it's a rabbinic enactment in order to just de-incentivize these marriages. Okay. Yeah. Expand yeah. But you can't. I mean, it, it's Kedushin Estaifas. It's a loss to say, Kedushin is typhus. So we could do the What we could do, we could do. So, okay. Ravashi has a different shot. Ravashi says, He says, very simple. The reason why the slaves can't eat is because even though they biblically could, what ha- happens when the husband dies? When the Kayan Gadol dies? They can't eat anymore. So we're not going to the, let them eat truma now, lest they continue to eat after the husband dies. The problem with that is every Bas Yisrael that marries a Kayan is allowed to eat truma during her marriage, and we don't say, she shouldn't eat truma during the marriage because she'll continue after the husband dies. We don't find such a thing. So that's a ridiculous uh, svara. The Gemara says, 
Ravashi says the reason why we don't allow the slaves to continue eating is because they're going to continue eating after the Kohen Gadol dies. So the Gemara says, oh, Ravashi says then if that's a taina that should outlaw every time a basisol marries a kohen, she cannot eat shum after the husband dies, so we shouldn't let her during the marriage because she's going to continue. So that's the, so. So Gemara says, you know what? The case of the Mishnah where the abde the, the, the objection when we don't allow the slaves to eat shuma is in the following circumstance: it's you have this wife who brings in this almana who brings in. Uh, the slaves to the marriage, she's a Baskayan herself. So here's the problem. Before she married the Kohen Gadol, could she eat Truma? Yeah, she's a Baskayan, because she was divorced, she was widowed. So before the marriage, she could eat Truma, and her slaves could eat Truma. During the marriage, her her slaves can eat Truma. We're allowing her slaves to eat Truma. After the husband dies, you know what she's going to say? My slaves can probably continue eating Truma. I could eat Truma before, I could eat Truma during, I could probably eat Truma afterwards, not realizing the second she married him, she became a halala, her, her slaves are forever disqualified. So we don't allow it because we're afraid that because she was a widow and she could eat before she got married because she was a widow, the, a widowed Baskayan who goes back to her father's house can eat Truma. So before she married the Kayan Gadol, she could eat Truma. During the marriage, we're going to allow the slaves to eat Truma, let's say. But she can't. Huh? She can't, but fine. But 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 the slaves so the could slaves eat before, can. the slaves could eat during, and the second her husband dies, she goes back to her father's house, she can be like, oh, my slaves can probably continue eating, right? Because she became a halala. The second she married that Kayin Gadol, she became disqualified forever. Even if she goes back to her father's house, she can never eat truma again, her slaves can never eat truma again. So therefore, we're not going to allow it during the marriage... Because after the marriage, she's going to think it's going to go back to the way it was before the marriage, which is not true. Before the marriage, she was not a halala. Now she's a halala. So therefore, we're going to outlaw it during the marriage for that specific scenario. You understand? Meaning, again, it's not just a regular widow. It's a widow who's a baskayan. The halacha is that a widow who's a baskayan can eat truma, as long as she goes back to her father's house. But So before, her slaves could eat truma, because she was a widow. During the marriage, we're entertaining the notion of allowing the slaves to continue eating truma. Then what's going to happen after the marriage? She's going to be like, well, back to being a widow, so my slaves can eat truma. Not knowing that the second she marries a, Bas- a Kayin Gadol, she becomes disqualified forever. Right. So it's not the same. So in order for her to realize that this was irreparably damaged, you're not the same, we're going to outlaw the slaves from eating truma during the marriage. Knowing, huh? She didn't know or she didn't care? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The second you marry a Kayin Gadol, you become a Halal. Oh, so the Gemara is going to ask that. What, then why would we outlaw all widows? We should only outlaw a Kayan widow. And the Gemara is going to say basically to avoid confusion, we're just going to outlaw all widows. A widow marries a Kayan Gadol, brings in slaves that are Nechse Mulug. They cannot eat Truma during the marriage of slaves. Why not? They're owned by her who's owned by the Kayan. Why isn't that enough? So the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. Before the marriage, the slaves can eat Truma because she was a widow, she was a Bas Kayan. During the marriage, you want to allow it. Then what happens if the husband dies? She's going to go back to her father's house, and she's going to go back to the way it was before the marriage, thinking her slaves can eat truma, not realizing the second she was with the Kayin Gadol, she became a halala. So the Gemara says, Ravashi, Ravashi, We're talking about Almana who's a Kayhanis. She's going to make the following rationale. Before I got married to the Kayin Gadol, I was just a widow. I was allowed to eat truma, and my slaves were allowed to eat truma in my father's house. In Sevalei Lahai, I married the Kayin Gadol, Achli Betruma, the Gavri. My slaves continued to eat truma. The Hashda, and now that my husband died, 
I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to continue. My sons are going to continue eating truma. But Layade, not realizing herself also, she's going to eat truma. Layade, not realizing the meikarole shavis lenasha chalola, hasha shavis lenasha chalola. Not realizing that the second she married the kohen gadol, she became a chalola. So everything's different. So in order for her to realize everything's different, we're going to outlaw it during the marriage. So the Gemara says Gavin's question, which is So why do we outlaw the slaves of a Yisraelis? This is only applies to a Kehenis. The answer is The Rabbana wanted to keep all the widows the same to avoid confusion. It's confusing enough. You don't want to start adding you know, the, the different types of widows. Okay. Itmar. Here's the Shiloh. The Shiloh is like this. And this is going to be basically till the end of the daf. Yeah. It's not very difficult. This nichseit sein barzel, which is again, you bring in um, a car. Let's go easy. You bring in a car, yeah, a fifty thousand dollar car. That's called nichseit sein barzel. It's written in the ksuba. It becomes the husband's, yeah. At the end of the marriage, if they get divorced, he has to give her back a fifty thousand dollar car. If it goes up in value, it goes down in value. It's irrelevant, yeah. The question is, at the end of marriage, does he give her back the actual car? Or can he say, I'm going to keep the car, I'll give you cash? Also, also if he dies, no? Yeah, yeah, divorce I guess for the, for the Yarshim. But let's go with divorce, it's just easier. That was, uh, you know, the husband against the wife, the plaintiff. Can she say, I don't want the cash value, I want the actual item itself? Or is he allowed to say, no, I'm, I'm just going to give you the cash? I mean, that, the question is, how, how much of ownership does he have, basically? And the car naturally is going to depreciate. No, let's say he never, he never drove it, and the value is the same. Huh? No, I'm saying to make it easy. He wants to return the actual car. It's the same value, blah, blah, blah. The question is, can he return, does he have to return the actual item? Is he like a full owner that he just owes her money of that value or no? He had the rights to use it and maybe it was his during the marriage, but he has to now return the actual item itself, not value, the actual item itself. That's the question. Can she demand the actual item itself or just the value to said item? And you could, you could see how it's going to be relevant to our Mishnah with, if, if we're saying that the slaves are his regarding the Ikitruma, so they're probably his, that he probably does not have to return the car. That, that's how the Gemara is going to go into this. The Gemara says like this. Two lines to the bottom. Itmar, hamachnesa shum You bring a nichzit sein barzel into a marriage. The marriage dissolves. He I marry, she says, kliyani tell us, I want the actual car. I want the item itself, not the value of the item itself. Hu oimer, domani no, I said. He says, no, I'm going to give you the cash. Who's right? Hadin imi. Who is correct? Rabbi Yehuda, I'm going to go to the next page. Hadin ima. Rabbi Yehuda says she is correct, meaning she gets the actual item itself. His ownership is not 100%. He's responsible for it, but he's not the owner, and therefore he has to return the actual item. He can't keep the item. Ravami, Yomar hadin ima. Ravami says, no, the halacha follows that he can actually um, return the cash and he could keep the item. He is 100% the owner. He's just responsible financially for it. That's that's Rav Ami. So it's Machlegas Rav Yudah and Rav Ami. Let's go through it inside. Rav Yudah, Amar Adinima. Rav Yudah says that she's right, that she gets the item. Mishum Shevach It's her heirlooms. She has the right to say it, meaning it's her items. He had the rights financially, maybe. He could use it. He could, he's responsible for it. But it's not his. He's not a, you know, he has to return the item itself. Rav Ami, Omar Hadinima. He says, no, he can keep the item. He just has to give him the cash. Ravami says, I'll prove it to you. Right? The slaves, right? She brings in Nichsit Sen Barzel. They could eat Truma. Why? Because they become his. 
So if they become his, why does he have to return the item? He just has to return the cash. That's a machoik, sort of Ami and Rav Yehuda. Um, Rav Safra, so, how does, so how do we respond to that? Again, Rav, Yehuda, Rav Ami feels that the items are his, and he just returns the cash. And what's the source? The source is the slaves, that the slaves can eat. Obviously, they become his. So what does Rav, what does Rav Safra say? Mikatani Hen Shaloi, it never says that the slaves are owned by him. Hoyl Chayev Bachriyusan. He's responsible for it, meaning they could eat truma not because they become his, but because they're responsible. And responsibility enough is enough to allow them to eat. So it's not that the slaves are actually his, it's that he's responsible. And responsibility alone is enough to warrant them eating truma. That's what Rav Safra says. So the Gemara says, is that true? But they're not actually his. By the way, is that true? That just being responsible enough is enough to eat truma. Let me ask you a question. Every time you rent um, anything, are you responsible? Yes. Yeah. So if a kayan rents an animal from uh, a Israel, he, they could the animal could eat truma. No. Responsibility is not enough. It's got to be yours. So, so uh, you know that evidently, the fact that the slaves can eat it means it's not just responsibility. It's more than that. That's the Gemara's rejection. And every time the Kayan is responsible, that's enough for the item to eat truma. And that's what you're telling me, meaning you're telling me Nixas and Barzal doesn't actually belong to the Kayan. He's just responsible, and that's enough. Is that true? But Tanabah, the Mishnah says, Yisrael Shesachar Parim Kayan. If Yisrael rents a cow from a Kayan, so he's responsible. The cow can still eat truma because it's still owned by a Kayan. I don't care who's responsible, I care about who's the owner. Kayan Shesachar Parim Yisrael. If a Kayan rents a cow from Yisrael, the Kayan rents the cow from Yisrael. He cannot eat truma. The cow cannot eat truma. Why? Because responsibility is not enough. So you see, responsibility is not enough. So Gemara says, no. Responsibility is enough. The answer is, when you rent it, you're not really responsible. Responsibility of rental is not 100%. V'tizbara, if you rent a, a car and the market value of the cars go down, do you have to return the market value or the car itself? The car. What does that show you? It shows you that rental is not full responsibility. Meaning, if you were fully responsible, that would be enough to allow you to eat truma. Rental is different. So going to Nixit Tzayn Barzal, he doesn't actually own the items. He's just responsible, and responsibility is enough. I rental responsibility is not enough. It's a rental responsibility is not enough. Regular responsibility is enough. The Gemara says, I'll prove it to you. Look at the end of that price. It says, The price actually says that if when he rents it, he tells the guy, I am 100% responsible in every regard. Then the halacha is, the kayin does that, then the animal could eat truma. So you see, responsibility is enough. Okay. Let's just finish up. So we had a machlekes whether nixit and barzel, who has to return the item, the item or cash? Who's the real owner? Yosef Rabbi Rav Yosef Bishili Pirkei Rav Nachav Yosef Kamer Tanya Kavaser Rav Yehuda Tanya Kavaser Rav Ami. We have a brayse that backs up Rav Yehuda and brayse that backs up Rav Ami. Again, is, is what's the husband's role with nixit and barzel? Is he the real owner, or is he just? Achayev um, Achrayis, basically. So the Gemara says, "Tani kavas de Ravami." We have a brayse that backs up Ravami that it's his, that it's mamish his, that he doesn't even have to return the item. Why? He says, "Avdi tzayin barzel yoytzin b'shein va'ayin leish avaloy leisha." Okay, the halach is that non-Jewish slaves. One of the ways they go free is if you if you hurt them. Yeah. Let's say a woman brings into the marriage nixit tzayin barzel. He and she punches them. 
Are they free? No. He punches them. Are they free? Yes. What does that show you? He's the owner, not her. Because the second she becomes Nixus and Brazil, they become the husbands. It shows you that he's not just responsible, he is the owner. It's his. Because if, if he was just responsible, but she's still the owner, then the second she punches them, they should go free. What does that tell you, the fact that they don't? The fact that they don't tells you that he is the owner, not her. Not just that he's responsible, he is the owner. That's a price of the backs of Ravami. Okay. We have a brisa back to Yehuda. It says, Oh, but there's a brisa that says, like Rav Yehuda, why? Because the brisa says, let's say the property, he wants to sell it, the husband wants to sell it, could he? No. What does it show you? It shows you he's not the owner. It shows you he's responsible, but he doesn't have full ownership, that he does not have the rights to sell. So the fact that he does not have the right to sell, it shows you that it's a brisa the backs of Rav Yehuda. Okay, so you have a brisa backing up either one. The Bryce just finished up this Bryce. It says, Ratza haba limkar lo yimkar, veloyoid ala filu hichnis la shomishaloyim, Ratza haba limkar lo yimkar. Not only that, if he brought in uh, gifts to her, meaning in the Ksuba he says, I'm giving you nichsitzain barzel, so I'm giving you items that I'm going to use, but I'm going to return to you after marriage, he can't sell that either. Okay. And im machar shnehem, by the way, if they did sell it against halacha, the husband can undo the sale, meaning they have the rights to go to the purchaser and undo the sale. Okay. But what do you see? This Bryce, the backs of Rav Yehuda, that he is not full owner. That she is the owner and he's just responsible and he has to return the item at the end of marriage, not just cash. Okay, that's the halacha. But don't we have a brace in the backs of Ravami? So why would we paskin like Rav Yehuda? So the answer is, The answer is, although we have a brace in the backs of Ravami, it makes more sense to paskin like Rav Yehuda, so we paskin like Rav Yehuda. That again, the Nechzitz and Barzal do not belong to the husband, and therefore the husband, while he has the rights to use and he's responsible for it, at the end of marriage he has to return the item, the item itself. Not just the value of said item, he has to return the item itself if she wants it. Okay. So the Gemara says like this. Now, Hahi Itasa, again, now we're passing like Rav Yehuda, which means the items of Nechzitz and Barzal are hers. At the end of the day, they're hers. Even throughout the marriage, they're hers. He has, he's responsible. Nechzitz Melug is just, it's levels of responsibility. Nechzitz Melug, he's responsible for the value of. The, the, he, he just returns the item, whether it's gone up or down in value. He, he's, it, there was no responsibility. There's no real responsibility. He's just allowed to use it. It's just like, it's like, it's like I let you ride my bike. You're not, you're not responsible in any way. You're just allowed to ride the bike. That's Nechzi Malog. Nechzi Tzadbarzal, according to Ravami, is that it's, it's not his, but he is allowed to use. He's responsible. He, it goes up in value. He gains money. It goes down in value. He loses money. He has to return it to the value of the way it was, and he has to return the said item. What if it's a slave and the slave dies? Then he'll have to replace the slave. He'll have to buy a new slave to that value. Original cost. Well, obviously, in that case, you, maybe you would. That, that, that's an, I mean, the item doesn't exist anymore. But, but that, if the item doesn't exist, then, then you probably can just give money. But the point is, if the item exists, then the, so if that car is still there and she says, I want the car, he can't say, no, I'll just give you the cash. I want the car. Well, but what if what? Because so, again, she is still owner. That's the point. But if he's a slave and the slave dies, he can't say, well, your slave is dead. I, can't, I don't have to return you anything. No, no, he's chayv achrayis. Okay. 
So again, so so here's so the end of this Gemara. So you have a machlekes, who's the real owner? Rav Ami says he's the real owner. Rav Yudah says she's the real owner. The Gemara has a little bit of a twist on it. The Gemara says, although we're saying, now here's the last twist. We paskin like Rav Yehuda, that she is the real owner. So you look at this Gemara and you'll say, okay, she's the real owner, she's the real owner. It's not so passionate. Even if you hold that she's the real owner, it's not as clear cut as, her ownership is not so clear. I'll prove it to you in the following story. There was a woman, this woman brought in this um, blanket, could be a very chash of a blanket, expensive blanket. She brought in a quilt or a blanket into the marriage, and it was nichse tzayn barzel. Okay? So again, we pass like Rabbi Yehuda, which means it's hers. Yeah? But what did the, what happened? The husband died. I'll tell you outside who said the husband died. And the Yarshim, the sons of the husband, uh, what they did was they took the quilt and they covered the casket with it. They used it as shrouds. The problem is shrouds are not allowed to be used afterwards. Meaning you can't, once shrouds are used for a mace, they're asr bahanoah. You're not allowed to benefit from them. So basically what they did when they covered up this body was basically did it that she can never use it again. Now the question is, were they allowed, does that work? Now if she's the owner, then how do they have the rights? The same way I can't take your item and use it as a shroud for someone else, you can be like, give it back to me. I, it's Asabana. You don't, you don't have the right to Asr my item. So, Lechorah, this question of whether what they did worked should be contingent on the previous Shiloh, who's the real owner. If she's the real owner, then their actions are ineffective. If he's the real owner, and i.e., the Yarshim are the real owner, then what they did works. It would seem like this scenario should be contingent on this machlokas. But says the Gemara, no. The Gemara says, shaklu amisna. They put the quilt over the as, as shrouds. Amarava kanya misna. Rava said it worked, meaning she cannot use the, the quilt anymore. So the Gemara says, maybe, maybe they might have to return the value, but but it works. Now the Gemara says, why? Amar lei, nanoi bereder of Yosef bereder. I thought we passed on like Rav Yehuda that she's the owner. If she's the owner, then how do they have the rights to do it? The answer is, The answer is, with this. Although she's the owner, until she collects, it's still in his domain, meaning she is the owner. But we look at it as not that she's the classic owner. She has the rights to collect the item. We actually look at it more that she's owed money. She's more like a, if, 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 uh, like a, a creditor. We don't actually look at her as the owner. Meaning, when she brings in a car to this relationship, the car actually becomes the husband's, according to everybody. I, Rabbi Yehuda, says she gets it at the end of the marriage. She's a creditor. And she has the rights to not just collect the cash, but to collect item. That's how we look at it. So until she collects the item, she is not the owner. Therefore, it's like any other creditor system, which means if, you owe, if I owe you money and I say this, this is collateral, this laptop is collateral, you have the rights to collect this item, not the cash, this item. The halach is if I say this item becomes hegdish, if I'm makdish it or if I make it chametz, whatever it is, poof, it's gone. You can't stop that. Therefore, even though we pass in like Rav Yehuda, that she become, she's the real owner, it's not that she's actually the owner and he's just borrowing it. It's more than that. He's actually the owner during the marriage. She has the rights as a creditor 
to collect the item. That's how we look at it. And therefore, because the Yarshim put it on the shrouds, then the halacha is, it's like any other creditor system, which is that if I have a collateral, and before you get here, I makdish it, or if I put it as shrouds, you can't collect that item. You might be able to collect the cash. So therefore, the point of the Gemara is that even Rav Yehuda, who holds that she's the owner, it's not a classical owner system. It's that she's a creditor, and instead of collecting cash, she has the rights to like repo that item itself. That's how we look at it during the marriage. And therefore, it's not so posh it as he's the owner, she's the owner. It's more than that. It's that, it's that she's actually the owner He's actually the owner. She just has the rights to creditor, which maybe going back for like for the for the Mishnah that shows you that that's not enough for them to eat. That that is enough to, for them to eat truma. So it, again, it, it changes how you perceive it. So therefore, that, that, that's the that's the Gemara. So everyone agrees that he's actually the owner. It's just that she's the creditor according to Rabbi Yehuda, and he and she could she could collect the item itself. And according to Rami, no, she's owed money like anything else, and she has to take cash. I will stop here. Ooh.